Hi everyone, welcome to the Footprint Futures podcast, where the founders of Footprint, Danny Scholz and myself, Sebastian Gear, interviewing leading entrepreneurs and sustainability innovators. In each episode, we want to learn from these inspiring change makers on why and how to accelerate the world towards a sustainable future. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Footprint Futures podcast. Today, we host Anna Brightman, co-founder of UpCircle, a sustainable cosmetics company. In this episode, we will discuss how to use coffee grounds to create beauty products, which retail strategies to adopt, why we need new ecopreneurs, why the circular economy is a piece of the climate crisis puzzle, and much more. Enjoy the podcast. All right, I'm here with Anna Brightman. Thank you so much for taking your time. Thank you so much for inviting me on. So you are the co-founder of Up Circle Beauty, uh, which uh, focuses on circularity, uh, sustainability, and beauty products. And um, startup you started six years ago. Uh, and we're going to talk a lot about that journey, about uh, maybe challenges you face along um, the, uh, the way, and the importance of sustainability, specifically when we talk about like self-care and beauty uh, industry. And um, but before we do that, I think it would be really great, uh, Anna, if you could give the people a bit more context, maybe about your yourself, um, how it all started out for you, and just to set some context. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess it's best to start before we even began. Uh, so in my early 20s, I was someone who didn't really know what I wanted to do for a career. I knew my strengths and my personality and the things that I was good at and the things that I was not good at, but I didn't know what that looked like with regards to the job that I was going to have. Uh, I ended up in supermarket area management on a fairly highly sought after scheme that accelerated you extremely quickly up the ranks. Um, so at the age of 22, I was managing multiple stores and had hundreds of staff um, and was well paid and had a great career trajectory ahead of me if I stuck with that. But I would come home at the end of the day thinking, oh, like, is, is this really it? Is this what I'm going to be doing forever? And as I mentioned, being a what I would consider natural creative, uh, that was that was difficult for me and it was a massive massive business uh for which sure i was being accelerated fast but i felt like a tiny cog in a giant giant machine so i was in that vibe of kind of lots of dreams of, of wanting to have my own business and manage my own team and have true autonomy and, and creative freedom mm -hmm. uh but but waiting for inspiration to strike my, my brother was in a similar situation he was working in finance at hedge funds and banks and things like that and again arguably very successful at a pretty young age but wanting to actually just be his own boss so uh it was in that kind of environment uh, and and us both being with these sorts of thoughts going on in our head that we were waiting for that penny drop moment to strike um and then it eventually did one morning when my brother asked a barista in a cafe what happens to the coffee that you tap out with each cup of coffee that you make Uh, and it was his answer that, that gave us the problem that we decided that we wanted to solve in the business that we then joined our heads together to create. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so interesting. I mean, 
and you know i i think it's it's great always if you know people take initiative and you know specifically everything regarding sustainability mm. but i think you're already touching on think like and i think an important aspect like the coffee mm. um aspect which i think is an important aspect of like you know the evolution of the company so how did it then start it out for you like so you had this moment in a coffee shop like your, your brother was asking like how did it move forward from there yeah so coffee is is the first ingredient that we started working with so Upcircle's concept is that we infuse every single skincare product that we make with a byproduct ingredient that we have intercepted from a previous industry at the end of its service life in that industry, but an ingredient that has fantastic skincare benefits and can be saved or rescued from being wasted by turning it into a skincare product instead. So the, the, the initial moment of inspiration was when this barista said, oh yeah, it's actually a really unfortunate uh, output of, of the coffee industry is that they was and they were an independent coffee shop, not like a massive chain or anything. Uh, they, they were producing so much coffee waste per day that they have to pay the local council to have this coffee disposed of at landfill sites. And they have to pay individually for these bags uh, that the council collect that are specifically for coffee. And uh, so coffee as an ingredient, you know, you can imagine making it at home in a cafetiere, you can sprinkle it on your plants or your garden or whatever, and it will aerobically degrade with, with no negative impact. But when you're putting 10, 15 kilograms into a plastic sack and sending it to landfill, what happens is that that coffee rots. And when it rots, it produces methane, which is obviously a greenhouse gas. So we were discovering this huge, relatively unknown negative environmental impact of coffee, which is seemingly an innocent, natural, often organic ingredient. And so this was the problem that we, we wanted to tackle. As you can imagine, coffee is a hugely popular industry and a popular drink that's never going to wane in that popularity. Uh, you know, we're all obsessed with it globally. So the supply was not going to dwindle and the problem was going to maintain. Uh, and I, as a teenager, had a big interest in skincare and, and makeup. And I thought at one point I would be a makeup artist. So I knew that skincare had skincare. Coffee had fantastic skincare benefits. So then we kind of brought those two things together and we we asked the, the barista, we went back a few days later when we've done all of this research um, and said, how would you feel if we took that coffee off you at the end of each day rather than you having to give it to the council? And he said, yeah, <laughs> I'd love that. You know, it's one of those situations where it's a win-win. We get our ingredient. He doesn't have that cost anymore. Um, and, and that's where it all began. So we just started with one coffee shop, uh, collecting up their coffee every single day and then turning it into scrubs and uh, uh, and exfoliators that we would then sell. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah, I mean, like a, a win-win is a is a great space to start, uh, a great place to start. Mm. The um, and yeah, I love the fact that you were looking at that, you know, waste, and of course you had that knowledge also regarding uh, skincare that you know, okay, this could be actually a benefit, and it just connected these these things. How did it then start it out? So you got that back from the coffee shop. Did you go home with it? Like uh, went into like a. a, a a garage or workshop and um you know we start to play around with it can you talk a little bit more about that that process you know and then actually you know probably at some point you you had to test it before you maybe launched a company or you just launched a company without getting customer feedback like how, how did you do it how did you take it from there <laughs> just just went straight in <laughs> no uh so at the time for the first two years in fact uh we we operated like an office out of my parents my family home where obviously we had moved out um so there were lots of like empty spaces that we could use as an office and work for free because of course you've got to save money where you can in those early years we're london based so 
rent for even tiny little box mm. offices are incredibly expensive. So it was really hilarious. My parents are extremely patient um, because there was coffee everywhere for years where then me and my brother are like potion making <laughs> with oils and coffee and, you know, share butter and all the rest of it on seemingly every single surface. It just got everywhere. Um, so, I mean, we did a lot of research. We, we bought an awful lot of products that existed on the market. Um, and we used to use like small scale markets uh, to take like these little kind of at home made samples that we had created. And we would use paper clips in the different scents and we would get people to vote. And that was such an easy way of, you know, in, in the course of a weekend, you'd meet hundreds of people and they'd come and they'd interact with your product and they'd buy it and they'd smell it and they'd try the texture and they'll give you instant feedback. So we would make like 10 different scent blends and then we'd have these little paperclip things at the, at the front of each one and just get people to vote. And then we would streamline the products that we then ended up launching formally uh, through a lot of this uh, interaction with customers that we had in those very, very early days. Of course, it's important that you make them legal. <laughs> um, so in the UK, you have to go through uh, legal efficacy testing and stability testing. So we very quickly had to find professionals <laughs> in order to get us through that process. So we've worked with the same formulators actually from day one. It's really important for a brand like ours, which is so kind of innovative and is doing uh, a lot of experimentation with ingredients that haven't been worked with in this way in the industry that we're in. So we need manufacturers and formulators who are behind us in those goals and willing to kind of start again over and over again and, and, and work through those hurdles. Uh, so we, yeah, we secured a relationship with the formulator very quickly and then gave them the concept and gave them the sense and, um, and then said, okay, can you make this sort of professional and, and official for us? And then we launched from there, but it all happened very quickly. I'm mm -hmm, talking mm -hmm. a matter of months. So interesting. Can you talk a little bit more about these paper clips that you described? How did you do it? Where there's like, you did this like on the street <laughs> or you rented like, um, like, a some kind of showroom, like how did you do it? So imagine like a market stall where you could take a table at a market. Um, whether there are loads okay. of them. Yeah. And so there would be like, um, I don't know, 50 pounds for a weekend. And we'd go and we'd stand behind there and we'd be selling our products um, at these little markets. But then we would just put a yeah. dish, like an empty glass almost, at the front of each of the products that we would have lined up. And then as people would come to the stand and interact, uh, we would ask them to drop a paperclip into the one they liked the best. Um, so we just used it as a free uh, way to kind of gather insights and, and people's Consumer opinion. feedback. Exactly that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had a clear winner there, and then you know he, he, he took it from there. Yeah. Um, then you said like you had to get in touch with Asia Labs, who are able to take this forward and get the the all the legal uh, topics in place basically um, for it. And then you had to launch a company, right? Mm -hmm. And then you had at that point you also had to think about the brand, right? Yeah, yeah. There's an awful lot happening at the beginning there, and for us it moved incredibly quickly. So at one of these little markets that we were at, we actually, without realizing it, had met an urban outfitters buyer who had come and, you know, they didn't announce this to us. But then we'd cut, on the Monday morning, we had an email saying, oh, hi, I, I met you over the weekend and I absolutely love what you're doing. And I think it's really cool. Can you send samples to our head office? And at this point, we didn't even have proper packaging. <laughs> we had nothing. So we had to very, very quickly in order to, you know, jump on that opportunity get all of our ducks in a row. And I think we sent the tubes, the tubes weren't even sealed properly. So we sent them with like sellotape on them. Honestly, looking back on it, it's just mortifying, but they, they, they still went with it. So again, very quickly, we were retailing our products in, in 
you know, big name retailers. Um, so we, yeah, it, it all moved incredibly fast and we just had to learn on the spot and, and make those connections and make those contacts and say, okay, well, look, branding agency, right. I, I also need your help. This is the, this is the vibe that I'm going for and this is what I need to achieve. But I'm also here asking for your, uh, your thoughts. <laughs> if you think I'm making a terrible mistake or, or whatever. So it's been really nice that, the, and we actually still work with all of the same people that we worked with right at the beginning. And they've kind of been on that journey with us. Yeah, 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 yeah. So interesting, and so you you basically met one person basically that got you then into sort of a real tail infrastructure, and I think uh, at an early point, right? Mm. Um, is this sort of like how you usually how do you approach it? Because I guess you know with with you know uh, consumer products, there are two ways to do it, right? You can do direct sales, or you can do like retail sales. So um what's that like already you know some brands basically they say like no we don't want to do we we want to do one of them for example that's that's also sometimes i'm hearing that how was it was it with you did you um you doing both uh was that that you were more focusing on the b2b side uh how did you how did you uh, go ahead with it when you were then launching the company and then setting it all up well i think this kind of sums up my brother and i in that we really struggle to limit ourselves. <laughs> so we're, yeah. we're currently about a 50, 50 split. Um, because it just seems to us anyway, like what, why, why wouldn't you do both? Yeah, um, yeah. and we, we got great interest right off the bat at the very beginning. And there's, there's, you need those sales, right. In order to continue to grow the brand and, and to do the other things that you need and to actually afford the products that you're making. So sure. We put huge focus behind our website and those direct sales and, and all of that. But, If you can have a, a big retailer who's got 800 stores uh, come up to you and say, I'd like to launch six of your products in, I don't know, 600 of those stores, then that, that to us is a, is a massive thing to turn down. Um, sure, the, the margins are squeezed and there are lots of complications with it. And it's never easy with those bigger retailer relationships. But the amount of exposure that you get just by having your products in, particularly when you're a small team and you're based in one city, um, yeah, we yeah. want to have global reach and, and yeah, yeah, sure. We, we, yeah, we, we, we do both <laughs> in short. Yeah. 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 No, that makes sense. Um, and then, so like, how did it go from there? So, um, so you, you, you were in the first store, you, you were doing B2B sales, B2C sales, Uh, uh, like what were sort of the next steps like in scaling the company and also maybe I assume not everything working out smooth so there might be some challenges along the way God. what were some of the biggest challenges you had to overcome sort of like in the evolution of the, the company yeah I think it's so important to talk about the challenges that you face because particularly in the age of social media where you know you can go onto a brand's Instagram feed for example and it just looks pristine and perfect and wonderful all the time. But that is absolutely not the reality of it. And you can look at a brand like UpCircle uh, with, you know, young sibling founders who've achieved insane amounts in a short space of time uh, and think that it's been easy. <laughs> But, oh, my God, we have had endless. And we just, my brother and I describe going to work every day like going into battle. You don't know what major major thing is going to land on your lap and it does we face these huge business critical nightmares every single day and you just have to just let it roll right off your back and kind of get cracking 
in the early days, I would say that some of the biggest challenges, well, it's certainly difficult being, I was, I was a 22 year old female trying to convince uh, investors in their late sixties who've been in the industry for 30 years that actually people are ready to start tackling issues of waste in a, in a arguably shallow industry like beauty <laughs> um, and saying, look, I, I, look I, who am I to tell you? Um, but actually, I, I do think this will be the next big thing. That was very, very difficult to kind of, particularly as someone who doesn't have a formal skincare background, uh, land on the on the scene as a disruptor brand and say, I think this is what's next. And I think that you should back us. Particularly with regards to, you know, I do a lot of the communications and the messaging for our brand. Um, it can't be denied that there is a, a real strategy that has to be very careful uh, when it comes to the words that we use to describe what we're doing. I have no doubt that there are people that won't get it and they are ultimately not our customer and that's fine. Um, but when you're talking about byproducts and tackling waste, it's very careful that you have to be careful that people aren't associating those ingredients that you're working with as being of lesser value or lesser quality or old or unclean in, in one way or another, because that's so far from the truth. Um, so there are real challenges around that. Uh, in more recent times, there've been massive challenges around supply chain. When you go through a global pandemic, which no one could ever have predicted, when uh, an ethos like ours, which is obviously circular, uh, relies on the functioning of other industries like hospitality and cafes and restaurants, for example, going back to that coffee example, uh, they need to function in order for us to get those byproduct ingredients. And of course, you know, self-care was massively on the rise at that time. So our sales were going up, 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 but our supply chain was massively more complicated. Um, so yeah, there's, there's lots of things like that where we've had to don our entrepreneurial cap and think outside the box and kind of find solutions on on the spot um, to, to keep things going. But um, yeah, I guess the most important thing is that you do and, and you keep you keep at it. Mm -hmm. So interesting. Um, and uh, and it, yeah, I mean the challenges never end, right? And it's just going to continue to 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 come your way. But the um, I think you're touching on one important thing. It might be good to contextualize for the audience because I assume this might be like a question people have. Um, so you're taking the coffee um, grind, basically, that's coming from the, the coffee shops or other facilities, mm -hmm. and then you turn it into beauty products. You know, I assume some people said, okay, like, how about the cleanness factor mm -hmm. that you just described? Like, how do you make sure that even though it's old in a sense, mm -hmm. it's a, we upcycle it, right? Um, uh, how do you make sure that, um, uh, how do you communicate that is actually, it, it doesn't matter that it's old, it's, it's you know, it's you, know, you can turn it into a clean skincare product. Can you talk a little bit more about the mechanics and technical things that are happening there on sort of an ingredient or sort of almost chemistry basis that ensure that this assumption actually is not correct from people? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the first thing to clarify is that they are not in any way old. So we get cafes all over the world at this point who contact us saying, hey, can you can you use our coffee grounds in your products? Mm -hmm. And we have to turn down most of those because we cannot accept stored coffee that someone just sends us in a big bulk. We do our collections every single day uh, and we only collect the coffee that has been produced that very same day. So we oh, okay. we spent probably the first year and a half because uh, that was another one of our struggles or challenges in the first days was 
convincing people, and particularly big retailers, that our concept yeah. was scalable. You know, here you are, a team of two or three people. So our first hire was in sales. So we were three for a long time, only three of us. And when you're approaching uh, retailers that have, you know, such huge presence, they're thinking, how on earth are you going to do this? <laughs> I'm glad now that we've proven we, we make tens of thousands of scrubs a week. Um, so we've proven that it can happen, but that was difficult. And we yeah. had to do a lot of experimentation in how that process was going to work. So we figured it out in the end, and that's that it has to be very fresh and very efficient. So we work with um, coffee partners who, again, will go into their stores and will speak to them about what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it so that there's no confusion over the fact that this isn't just a case of separating uh, organic or biodegradable food waste from uh, you know, plastics and packaging and the rest of the stuff that they might have in the in the coffee shops, but actually that you can't just be putting a mint leaf or whatever else into the, the uh, containers that we supply to them because this is ending up in a coffee, a solo coffee skincare product. So there's a lot of education when we take on a coffee supplier at the beginning so that the teams mm -hmm. understand what the end product is. And we always give all of the store teams our products to actually use themselves so that they get it, you know, so they understand what what comes out the back of it. And then we have our teams who go and they collect the coffee at the end of each day. So we kind of chase their closing times and we choose them on the geographical location so that it's streamlined. And then so you have a map of London and basically <laughs> yeah. the closing times. Exactly. For and then we have separate little London. loops that we go to um, in the different areas of the city. And then we choose the coffee suppliers based on their ethics so and the quality of the coffee. Is it all fair trade? Um, is Good. it Arabica coffee, etc. So that's all really important as well. And then we collect it all. It gets processed in one of our London warehouses. So basically very thoroughly filtered. The main thing that we're looking for at that point is that no whole beans have kind of slipped through the process because that's one thing that sometimes comes up. So it's very uh, thoroughly filtered. And then it goes to our manufacturers who produce the product the very next day. So it's that's you know that's a good example of one of the ingredients. We work with 15 different repurposed upcycled ingredients, um, but that coffee process is is a great one for kind of demonstrating that it's it's not old. <laughs> In fact, if you're buying a coffee scrub from a brand that hasn't upcycled it, it's likely that that coffee will be much older than ours. Um, and and you know the more research we do into these ingredients, the more it becomes a no-brainer. So for example, the brewing process of coffee has been scientifically shown to increase the level of antioxidants in that coffee. And antioxidants mm -hmm. are fantastic in skincare. So arguably, the fact that it's upcycled uh, means it's e even it better more. for your skin. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. So you, they, you always take them fresh. You mm -hmm. always, you have to look at the actual coffee, right? And actually check, okay, what is, like, how they, what kind of coffee they're using? Is this, like, out of quality? Because... The, with upcycling everything in the chain matters right yeah absolutely. <laughs> so because it's the same if you eat like if you eat animal based food right the the what the um the the, the animal eaten you will eat uh -huh. right and uh, same with like the the soil a plant has everything you know i think you know sometimes we actually don't like don't understand that everything is coming from somewhere and actually you know every cell that is you know cr um, created in some kind of process is based on like whatever foundation it was on so and so the same with i think with upcycling even more of course mm -hmm. right and, and it really matters um but it's not an exclusive problem to to upcycling that's what i want to mm -hmm. uh want to say
Um, so um, and then so when you get the, the coffee fresh, like another assumption of people could be, OK, you take the, the coffee fresh, but it still get pro processed afterwards. So there's still a, time, a big a time between like whatever you do then afterwards and when people are using mm -hmm. it. Well, how do you ensure that the quality basically um, keeps uh, existing basically even after you does do your procedures basically and getting it from the coffee shop? Yeah, so I think it, to make it durable, it's, it's probably right? yeah. important just to go back and reiterate the fact that any product sold has to go through the same legal tests, right? Yeah. So yeah. ours have passed yeah. all of those. So those tests include things like stability, which means once you bought it, does the texture change? Does it, you know, what, what happens when it's just left, right, in different environments? Uh, so none of our products have sell-by dates, but what they have is what's called a period after opening. So once the packaging is opened, then you kind of start the clock. Uh, and the clock for all of our products is between six and nine months. So we do, in certain products, it depends if there's water in the formulation. If there is water in the formulation, then it's pretty much unavoidable um, to, to use some sort of preservative, uh, unless you want a product that you have to keep in the fridge and you have to use it within three days, which for skincare isn't going to work. Um, so we use like nature identical preservatives that are never more than 0.1% of the entire formulation. Uh, we're also a soil association Cosmos certified brand as well. So every single ingredient that we work with, and as we've mentioned, tracing that back all the way to the source is something that we are audited on regularly. Um, in order to continue to be certified by these sorts of um, certification bodies. So any formulation that doesn't contain water wouldn't even necessarily need um, a preservative because they are uh, usually oil-based, which can um, na basically naturally preserve themselves. So, so yeah, there is, there is some sort of treatment um, that has to go into that. But generally, our products have, a, have like a six-month after opening Uh, recommendation for which you should use them. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've had, I've still got some of our original format scrubs uh, that are like five years old and they're absolutely fine. But of course, you've got to kind of cover your back with these things. And so we, we, we would advise using within six months. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think it's also important from the sustainability standpoint that, you know, you put in all of this effort to produce a product and then you, you, you know, like ship the product here or there or whatever and the product's obviously in packaging. Um, so it's important to design those products to last and to not have a situation where yeah. you're having to use it really quickly or having to throw it away because for one reason or another, it's gone yeah. bad. Uh, and then all that means is that, A, you're wasting things and then the consumer is having to buy more of it. So um, I think that's also an important part of the product design process to design them for longevity in life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, talking about that upcycling, right? Yeah. So. Did you thought about and product design? What is happening? Do you thought about how can you take some of the materials that are needed to package it, mm -hmm. etc., mm -hmm. to think about what could be upcycled from there, or how in terms of a circular mindset? Mm -hmm. So something you work on, or some kind of something you maybe have already implemented, like how can some of the materials that it, that you need, or to say packaging and all of it, to kind of take forward afterwards? Yeah, absolutely. It's of paramount importance to us that we practice what we preach at every single level of the brand. So, for example, our marketing materials are made from paper that's made out of recycled coffee cups. And then with regards to the packaging, we choose the materials based on the ease with which they can be recycled from home. So we don't want them to, you know, we don't want our customers to have to go to some sort of specialist recycling plant or collection point or whatever 
in order to recycle because as we know most people aren't going to do that so we choose our materials based on those that are most widely globally very easily recycled um, just at, in people's homes already so things like glass or aluminium and then we also um, here in the UK we rolled out last year in fact on Earth Day last year, so it's about to have its first birthday as a scheme tomorrow, uh, a full packaging return scheme. So, of course, we were known for our circular approach to our ingredients, but we now have one of the biggest return schemes in the UK um, and one of the most successful. <coughs> Basically, when you finish your products at home or a customer finishes their products at home, they keep their packaging. They can go on our website where we have a refill section. They purchase it at 20% cheaper than the normal price. They're then automatically sent a free post label. They pop their empty jars into a box, any box, um, gets free post sent back to our London warehouse where we sterilize it. We refill that customer's exact same packaging and then we send it back out to them. So uh, not only are the ingredients that we're using circular, but the packaging is also circular. And that was a, a key point in our timeline that we were working towards for a long time in those early years. It was a goal that we wanted to achieve. But of course, as you can imagine, the infrastructure and the complications behind the scenes are there. There's a reason that not that many brands operate these schemes because they're quite complex. Um, so it was, it was a massive step for our brand and something that we always wanted. And it's extremely popular. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and, and that's so great. I mean, you know, and I think some of the, you know, because sustainability is so big, um, it's it's not people should not understand how difficult it is to what you just said. Like, look at all the details in a business yeah. and actually, you know, um, do what you you preach. You say, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, the paper. Like, actually thinking about like how how do you take it forward from there? Mm -hmm. It's usually complex. Um, you you have to work with with you know different you know partners there you know many companies struggle to make that transformation because it. it, it, it it's it's just happening at so many places in the business and 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 um, it's it's great that I mean with you basically starting a new business you're directly trying to do it great from the start um, and 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 set the, the the things in place for it. Um, one more question maybe regarding the coffee um, because you're taking it from different coffee shops, right? Mm -hmm. So do you uh, like? Do you, I guess at some point you have to put it together, right? So, yep. um, so there you have different coffee from different coffee shops. Is that usually like how you do it, or you separate it between the coffee shops? Is this like an issue that you know that you have to mix it, or I don't know? So the main thing um, is that we only would collect arabica coffee. So coffee comes in the two grades. You've got arabica and robusta. Robusta is more like what you would get in an instant coffee. It's much easier to grow, and it's a, a, a lesser. Uh, quality of coffee so we only collect arabica but that's really the only thing that unifies our approach there so you do find that as you open up each bag from each uh, each coffee shop there will be slight variation in the scent or in the color uh, or slight variation also in the uh, kind of how dry it is but ultimately it all goes into one so we send the coffee from our london warehouse to our manufacturers in barrels that contain about 150 kilograms each and that's all mixed um, from the coffee that we've collected in that day and we're collecting at the moment around 100 to 150 kilograms a day so it all goes into one um, and that's that's fine we've actually it's funny being a, a natural organic brand uh, batch consistency is something that's quite difficult 
um, because the ingredients fundamentally aren't always the same. Like there will be slight variation in in the the kind of tone of the oil or the color, you know, the, the different sort of consistencies that you can get. But the coffee products are one where we we get the least uh, issue with that, which is quite funny. Um, but yeah, it's 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 it, it all gets mixed together, and that's that's never been a problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, as we're moving towards the end of the, the time that we have available here, um, and I was just one um, question I think that's going to be very relevant for the audience. Um, I mean, you are, uh, of course, uh, still, I think, pioneering in the sense of circular economy and circular design and, and, and product creation. Uh, pioneering specifically, I'm saying, because, you know, like it's still not too many companies who are doing it mm-hmm. uh, and it's a challenge um, but what would be your advice for either companies that have an already existing business and they want to become circular mm-hmm. right uh, or people just starting out to actually design it circular based on all of the learnings you had and the challenges you were kind of overcoming in such a process of making a circular business mm-hmm. what would be your advice for these people um, to to kind of transform or start out in that direction well, I guess firstly, I would say that nothing good in life comes easily. Uh, if it's if it's worth achieving and you're doing something new and innovative and pioneering, that path is always going to be bumpy. Um, but that's fine. You know, that kind of adds to the challenge and the sense of satisfaction and accomplishment that you get at the end of it. With regards to whether or not to do it, my advice is that you you should, and we kind of have to. <laughs> like, we don't really have a choice anymore, right? We're in a bad, bad situation. And a linear approach is no longer going to work. The, the world has finite resources and we are using them up way quicker than we can produce at the moment. So it's not even a choice anymore. Businesses have to approach the circular economy and integrate it into their business practices. Um, a, for the planet, but also as the, you know, the younger generations uh, kind of are, are becoming more and more demanding with this because the impact of the older generations is going to be affecting them. And so they're demanding more from brands with regards to the ways in which they build these ethics into their core DNA. Um, so the future consumer is going to be looking at that and, and they're calling increasingly for you know, more transparency uh, and more responsibility for brands to tackle these sorts of issues. So my advice would be um, that not only should you go for it, you kind of have to go for it. <laughs> it won't be easy. And uh, these things are difficult. And, and whenever you're the first to do something, you know, you're the one figuring it out and there's no one to tell you uh, how to do it. But if you do, you'll be in a situation where, like what we are, uh, where you're kind of leading the way and people are looking to you for guidance and, and ultimately copying, <laughs> copying what you're doing and implementing it in their own brands, which is brilliant. I, I actually welcome that. People say all the time, how do you feel about the fact that now this is popping up and this is popping up and this brand is using this messaging, uh, which they've never used for the last 10 years. And all of a sudden, they're basically saying what you're saying. And I welcome it because, you know, we, we need these things to become mainstream. Um, circularity needs to become the status quo. So uh, my advice is absolutely go for it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And just, um, uh, I totally agree, uh, just adding maybe one more aspect on top of it. Um, I think what is also interesting about uh, developing solutions in space that um, different to maybe traditional innovation and procreation, um, circular um, solutions by default need partnerships. 
Yeah. So you cannot solve it alone. You have mm-hmm. been doing it with the coffee shops. Mm-hmm. So you have been looking at to, okay, we have sort of a waste product here. I'm docking on on that process and taking it forward, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually upcycling it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Or bring it back up, right? Mm-hmm. So then th- that's an opportunity for other businesses to take it forward. It's the street that you're building, right? And um, so I think that's that's different because you know in a, in the traditional sense, if you if you start to develop a product or a solution, you would start with a white paper. But the difference here is that you should start with what is already there. Mm-hmm. Um, you should um, and you need partners to solve it. You cannot solve it yourself. Mm-hmm. You need the partners because by default, otherwise you're not playing in a in in the system, right? And you're contributing to the system either by upcycling it or using something that's already there or by thinking how even if you have to start with zero, how your solution can be taken forward from there, right? Mm-hmm. It should create business opportunities on the end of your of your value chain, right? So I think that's kind of interesting. It's a different mindset if you think about it. But um, I, yeah, so I think, interesting. I think it's one of the most beautiful things about being a circular economy brand is that you know, the products and the process are collaborative by nature. Um, and each product that you make has a truly unique provenance uh, and a story to tell that's unlike any other. You know, I can, I can yeah. pick any product from our range. So let's take our face mask, for example. It's made from powdered olive stones that are a byproduct of the olive oil industry. And they are sourced from Andalusia in Spain, like the heart of the olive growing region. And like that's what a beautiful story behind a face mask. Um, that is now, you know, being sold in the beauty industry. And yet its heart uh, is in the olive oil industry. I I love that. And you can apply that same logic to any product in our range. And that's not something that you would get if you just bought, you know, a a virgin olive powder. Um, So I think the the collaboration behind and storytelling behind uh, products that do embrace a circular economy are another one of the really beautiful things about doing what we do. Yeah, embracing partnerships. Exactly. Yeah, really, exactly. really great. Thank you so much, Anna. This was amazing. Uh, uh, I thought, fortunately, we need to uh, wrap it up here in terms of the uh, podcast recording. But uh, we'd really like to thank you for your time and sharing these things with our audience. Oh, thank you. I've, I've loved every minute of it. Thank you for listening. Don't hesitate to send us a message if you enjoyed the podcast. We would love to get in touch. You can also share it around you and follow us on social media. Stay tuned for our next podcast.